Today we're going to talk about forgiveness. But to start that off, we're going to talk about fireworks. So a long time ago, believe it or not, I was a student, and I was a very well-behaved student. Yeah, you're laughing, you know. So one spring day of my fifth grade year, I got a hold of the mother load of fireworks. There was black cats, bottle rockets, wizards, I don't even know the names of all of them even today. So I decided, being the serving kind of guy that I am, that I'm going to put on a fireworks show for my fellow students. So the first task was to find where we would do this. So we picked the alley out across the parking lot because it was covered with pine trees and it could conceal us. I got my accomplices together and we set up shop. While one of my friends was setting up all the fireworks, you know, in the agreed upon order, because presentation's everything, while the other comrade was going through the entrance, there was three entrances, and he was keeping a lookout for teachers, I was dancing around madly with, I don't know if it was a blowtorch or a really cool lighter, but I was dancing around madly, lighting every single firework I could. And then that moment came, you know, when the adults are like, okay, what's going on? So as my teacher crossed the parking lot and started making their way towards us, of course, everybody panicked. I didn't know what to do. So I did, you know, what any mischievous child would do. I loaded a brick of black cats in the entrance and lit them and ran. I was able to make it to the other side of the alley when I saw my teacher running, slipping, sliding, and falling all over herself, terrified in mortal fear. And so I got a good laugh at it at the time, but in weeks to come, it really wore on me. The guilt when I saw my teacher miss work really bothered me. When I saw her come bandaged up because she had road rash, it really got to me. And I was raised Catholic, and so I did what good Catholics do. When we sin, we go to confession. I sat and I spoke to the priest And he tried to explain to me, he tried to impress upon me the things that I had done and why they were bad, why I shouldn't have done them. So I took my assigned prayers and I moved on. I tried to move on. But the problem was, is saying sorry to God and saying my prayers didn't fix this social relationship that was broken. I carried this weight around, nervous, looking over my shoulder, waiting for every moment to come when the principal would grab me and pull me in their office. Something about the way I practiced confession didn't work. Even though I knew what I did was wrong, what I did with my prayers didn't fix it. I remained trapped in this guilt. And forgiveness is a difficult thing, isn't it? And today, let's talk about how we forgive. How we help others forgive. And let's talk about, to talk about that, we need to talk about confession. Because forgiveness really begins being honest with ourselves. Only when we're honest with God and we experience God's forgiveness which will turn, which will in turn help us to be conduits of forgiveness to others. Too often we don't forgive. Or we try to forget instead. We try to forgive without facing our own need for forgiveness. 
We get it backwards when it comes to forgiveness. Everything begins with God's love for us. Let's begin this morning by celebrating that together in worship. Please stand and join us. This summer, we're working through the Apostles' Creed. It's one of the oldest statements about what Christians believe. These beliefs are not gateways into belonging, but they're invitations to life. When we say, I believe, we're acting in faith. We're trusting the wisdom of the church across the world and throughout time that has found these words to be the way of God, to be the way of life. We began by confessing God is our creator, insisting that our lives have meaning and purpose. Since then, we've been investigating belief in Jesus, everything from his identity as God to his incarnation to his second coming. We're finishing the creed with statements that speak about God and the Holy Spirit. We begin by considering what it means to say that the Holy Spirit is God. Last week, we talked about how it, what it means to say the Holy Spirit makes us the church. Today, we explore the mission the Holy Spirit gives us. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. If you have your Bible, Bible app, will you turn with me to Matthew 6, 12 through 15. If you have one of the free Bibles in the back, it can be found on page 581. And if you don't have a Bible, please keep that and consider it a gift from us. This is a piece of the Lord's Prayer, which is the model of prayer Jesus gave his followers when they asked him, how do I pray? Jesus specifically teaches us to pray for forgiveness. But his words are surprising because he links how God forgives us with how we forgive each other. We're going to see how the church talks about forgiving each other. We're not talking about personal forgiveness. If you remember, Debbie talked about God forgiving our sin. Today, we're going to look at how the Spirit enables the church to be a people of forgiveness. So that maybe we would begin taking horizontal forgiveness, forgiveness from God, just as important at, sorry, let me start over. So that maybe we will take our vertical forgiveness as important as we take our horizontal forgiveness. Meaning, we take forgiveness as important as we take it from God as we do forgiving other people. Let's read how Jesus teaches us to pray. Forgive us our sins as we've forgiven those who sin against us. And do not lead us yield to temptation. Do not let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Forgive our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. We usually think of that little word as in terms of time. Forgive us as the, at the same time we're forgiving other people. As though God's forgiveness and our forgi forgiveness happens at the same exact time. But the Greek word there is not at the same time. It actually means in the same way. It's about quality not time. 
So Jesus is telling us that we should pray, God, forgive my sin the same way I forgive the sin of other people. Now stop for a moment. Are you a good forgiver? What would happen if we prayed this? What would it look like if God forgave you the same way you forgave other people? For me, this is scary. When Jesus tells me to pray like this, I realize that personally, I have some work to do. I have a lot of work to do in the forgiveness of others category. Now take a deep breath. I don't want us to miss what this is saying. It is clearly saying if you are not good at forgiveness, this is a problem. It is anti-Christian and goes against the work Jesus did on the cross. Don't skip or tune me out. We can pretend this is not a problem, but it is a problem we as a church need to address. On the other side, it is also clear that if we're not good at forgiveness, there's hope. Forgiveness is like belief. Belief in action moves us through to invite ourselves into a way of living and acting based on what we claim to believe. So if, like me, you're feeling a little conviction right now, we have to ask ourselves, how can I get better at forgiveness? How do we get better at forgiveness? If you still have your Bibles open, turn or click over to Matthew 18. Again, it can be found on page 590 from one of the Bibles in the back. The teachers of Jesus' day, the rabbis, they taught you to forgive someone up to three times. Not just once, not twice, but three times. So let's take a look at what Jesus says when he weighs in on this question of how many times we should forgive somebody. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied but 70 times 7. Therefore, the kingdom of God can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please, please be patient with me, and I will pay it all. And his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant. I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire 
debt. Peter asked what we all want to ask. How many times do I have to forgive them? How many times do I have to go down this road? And Peter goes above and beyond the other rabbi's advice. Not three times, but seven. I'll give him seven, Lord. I'm sure he was feeling very holy and very proud of himself. But what he really wanted to know is when is it okay for me not to forgive? Is there a magic number to get to? Once I reach that number, am I exempt from giving forgiveness? Jesus' response was 70 times 70. It was an obvious hyperbole. Sorry, hyperbole. <laughs> he meant that you can't put a number on forgiveness. Why? Why not? Because God doesn't, and we're God's people. To illustrate his point, he tells a story of a man who was forgiven an impossible debt, hundreds of millions of dollars compared to thousands. It's a fraction of a percent. Jesus insists this is how we stand before God, forgiven of an impossible debt that we could never repay. Rather than casting us into eternal punishment, God declares us square. In light of that forgiveness, Jesus insists we can't act towards our fellow humans with anything other than the same sort of outrageous generosity. We, we can forgive for the rest of our lives and never come close to forgiving as much as God. So why don't we forgive? Because sometimes not forgiving feels good. It's easier not to forgive. I can protect myself if I don't forgive. That's not true. Not forgiving someone is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to get sick. Teresa and I started releasing video games to my son. My son Tate is six years old, so we're, we're trying this new venture. And like any six-year-old, he still has a little bit of trouble with boundaries. So one night, we were setting up to play video games, and uh, his time frame had ended. And so he immediately went to his sister to try to bribe her to continue his time frame in Mario and Nintendo. His sister wanted to watch a movie, wanted to watch Beauty and the Beast, and he just couldn't stand this. He couldn't forgive the fact that his little sister wouldn't side with him just for another hour of Mario. He just couldn't bear it. He sat on the couch and he pouted and he folded his arms and he put his head against the couch and refused to watch the movie. As time passed, all the energy he wasted, he fell asleep. And so when his time came back, he wasn't able to enjoy his movie. This is what happens when we don't forgive. There's all this energy and time and effort wasted in not forgiving. So how do we get good at forgiving others? Jesus says it's by remembering how much God forgave us. By facing and acknowledging our own sin, we're able to receive God's gift of forgiveness. This helps us to be able to willingly forgive others. The practice of confessing our sins helps us to be honest about how much God has forgiven us. 
You see, when I was going to Catholic school, I didn't quite grasp this. It was like when my kids were fighting and I make them apologize to each other. As children, they don't quite understand why I make them hug and shake hands. As children, they don't get why they're apologizing other than I made them do it. I treated confession like this. I treated it like a duty. Because I told, because I was told to, or I thought it would make me better. But the practice of confession is meant to teach us to reflect on the love of God. Confession leads us to empathy and grace. We're adults now. We're not kids. Our church doesn't practice confession like the Catholic Church. No one makes us shake hands. No one makes us say sorry. But don't we know better? Shouldn't we be able to reflect on our own faults? Our own weaknesses? Shouldn't we be able to reflect on where we can do better? We do that by remembering the forgiveness that we've received. This is one of the reasons we promote LTGs here at Catalyst. These are smaller groups than our C groups, usually three or four people. And LTG is a great space for confession. They allow us to help one another to see God's grace, to see God's love that transforms us. It allows us to learn from another while encouraging one another to receive forgiveness as well as giving forgiveness. You need a safe person to confess to, someone who won't judge you or condemn you, Confession is about being honest with God, yourself, and with your brothers and sisters in the church. The church is the people who insist on forgiving because God forgave us. And that's what it looks like to be God's image. We are people who insist on forgiving because we insist on removing bitterness and we create more space for love. Gentleness, kindness, and growth. We can choose to be people of unforgiveness. We can choose to be like my son was, harboring resentment and anger and unforgiveness to the point where it just wears us out. We can be like I was when I was a child and confession didn't really fix my problem. I'd love to tell you that the story had a resolution, but it didn't. That broken relationship between me and my teacher was never repaired. We can continue to remember those people that betrayed our trust and let us down. We can continue to hurt and in pain and live in fear. But if we live like that, we cut ourselves out of God's economy of forgiveness. We cut ourselves off from the life that is truly life. Instead, we can insist on being a church that believes in the forgiveness of sin. Not just our sin, but the sins of others. We can insist on pursuing forgiving of those who wrong us. Not once, not twice, not three times, but as many times as it takes. We can insist on saying, I'm sorry, instead of holding a grudge. 
We can insist on going out of our way to restore a broken relationship. We can refuse to let bitterness take root inside our spirits. We can insist on confessing our sin to each other. We can insist on being a safe people for someone else to confess. We can refuse gossip. We can refuse to talk bad about people behind their backs. We can make it easy for people to confide in us. If we can do these things with God's help, then we can be a church that proudly announces to the world that we believe in the forgiveness of sins. We begin our journey of forgiveness by approaching the communion table. The table invites us back to the meal Jesus shared with his followers the night before he was killed. At this meal, he broke bread and gave it to us saying, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat it all. Later in the meal, he passed a cup of wine saying, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sin. We approach this table as sinners, honest about who we are before God. We find at this table infinite welcome and forgiveness. We find the grace we need to go back into the world as impossible forgivers. You don't have to be a member of Catalyst to receive communion today. If you're willing to receive God's forgiveness and commit to forgiving to others, you're welcome to join us this morning. Before we approach the table today, we're going to say the creed together. The creed is a goal. It's not our starting point. These are the things we want to believe, things that have proven true to Christians over thousands of years. And so we trust that enough to take it seriously and wrestle with it ourselves. After we say the creed, I'm going to pray for us. Then as you're ready, come and join us for communion. Please stand and say the creed with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Let's pray. God, you created us for life, and even though we sinned, you forgave us by sending your Son, Jesus, to become one of us. Show us your way and die for our sin. Such a gift is too great for us to imagine. So rather than try to think our way to forgiveness, we respond to your invitation and approach your table. We come as sinners and we receive wafers and juice. We pray they become a spiritual food that nourishes us. We pray your forgiveness overwhelms us such that we leave from here and go back into the world as people who forgive and forgive 
and forgive again. Seventy times, seven times. We pray and approach your table in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.